0: Through yeah. the program in six months, and other communities are slower, and it may take them two or three years.
1: Okay. Okay. Uh, how many churches have been planted in the last 15 years through Global Shea? <laughs> I, I just asked Ugo. Ugo yeah. Gomez is the doctor that we work with, and and
0: uh, he says 113 in the last 12 years. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's remarkable. I mean, I mean, uh, wow.
0: The smallest church is is a dozen people, and oh. the largest church is 3,500 people. Yeah
1: yeah it's it 's incredible uh the effectiveness that these che the kind of the, the local yes. indigenous you know evangelists there are just incredibly gifted, and we have the opportunity to serve uh, to actually support a couple of them financially as well as uh, and we basically see we say we support two of them, but I understand they kind of put all the money in a general till and then support a multitude of... Uh, yeah, that,
0: that's kind of a Latin thing, is, yeah. is that we think we're 100% supporting two of the 21 trainers, Yeah. Uh, but because of sacrifice and shared sacrifice, there may be 14 or 15 trainers that are 100% supported. The 14 or 15 that are 100% give theirs in pro-rata share. Wow. So it's socialism. It's, wow. it's equal equal to all the, wow. the trainers. That's cool.
1: We've been talking about uh, anything is possible. Prayers, any big answers to prayer?
0: We've had a couple of huge answers over the years. Um, about six or seven years ago, um, Gloria and I had a chance to speak before a, a strange group of people that that um, we were just invited to go share a slideshow about Guatemala, and, and we shared things like this—just general slides of the community—and told them what we did and. And after that evening, uh, a man and a woman came to us and said, if you could have one thing for Guatemala to help your ministry, what would it be? And I said, well, we would like a, a well drilling rig. Well, how much does that cost? Uh, Eighty dollars to $100,000. And this couple said, well, we'd like to take you to lunch on Sunday. And I said, well, that's fine, but we're, we come to Deer Creek. Well, we'll come to Deer Creek and come to church with you. And uh, that Sunday at lunch, uh, the lady pulled out her checkbook. I thought it was interesting that the lady did it and wrote us a check for $80,000 and said, if you need any more, just let us
1: know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. they're not from Deer Creek. But. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Uh, special prayer request for the ministry, kind of what's going on now and how could we best Yeah, this,
0: this is an interesting prayer request. Um, what the United States has done in the last couple of years with immigration, and I, I know this is going to sound a little bit political, has caused a huge problem in Central America. In Central America, they hear two messages. One is, if you can make it to the border, you can be a US citizen. The other thing they hear is that somebody's going to build a wall that's 20 feet tall, and if you don't get in before the wall, you're not getting in. So. There are a lot of people in Guatemala that are trying to get to America because they hear these mixed messages, and they hear that mixed message, and we have had two trainers have had two sons die trying to get to the United States because of this mixed message. We had wow. uh, Nasario had his son die last year trying to cross the, the river uh, that separates Mexico from Texas, and we had another one of our trainers' sons die two years ago in the desert of Arizona. Uh, And that's simply because they hear this strange message. And and I'm not saying one message is right and the other is wrong. I'm just saying they hear this, and their reaction is, we've got to make it to America before the door shuts.
1: Wow. Wow. It's funny, you know, we, uh, our politics in in our country, we we don't, you know, we see it through only our own lens and and not how it affects others sometimes. Wow. Wow. yeah, you gave me this. Why are you dressed up in fishing gear,
0: Kirk? Well, for the last three weeks, you've been talking about fishing. And uh, I heard this was Bluegrass Weekend, so I assumed this was Fishing Weekend. <laughs> and, and then two weeks ago, you said something about building to serve and how we bought a bigger boat. And I thought maybe this was the weekend that the boat was coming. So. <laughs> okay. No, I, I've really been touched by your uh, speaking about being fishers of men. And one of the things that it struck me is, is I probably have $2,000 worth of fishing equipment that gets used about once every three years. It's the most underused fishing equipment uh, probably in Denver. And I thought, you know, that's kind of a metaphor for most of us sitting in this room is we're underused
1: fishermen. Wow. So. There you go. There's a visual picture right there. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> well, yeah. mm. We're really, uh, I think, blessed to be able here at Deer Creek to partner with the people that we partner with. You know, Kirk and Gloria many years ago came to Deer Creek, and this is a passion. Some of you have heard Kirk share uh, how God put on their hearts this passion for Guatemala. And so suddenly we find here as a part of our, our church family people that have this calling and this passion in their lives. And a lot of you... Uh, a lot of us have been able to go down. Uh, you might have seen in some of the slides that were just kind of circulating there, folks from this church that have been able to go down and learn a little bit. We, we try to just do what we're told. Otherwise, we'll break something. But you know, learn about putting in a water system. Or uh, that another aspect of this ministry, when teams from here have gone down, uh, Gloria is usually leading a group that are serving children in these villages and Man, do they go nuts for uh, it's like a VBS for them, you know, for a uh, a period of days, and they uh, they just they absolutely love it. So, anyway, thank you for listening to God, and thank you for letting us be a a part of what God has called you to do. So, well, let's uh, let's pray. Father, we come uh, to this place, this time where we we study and we. We open our hearts and our minds up to you, and we ask you to teach us. We pray that you would do that this morning. Uh, We confess, Father, there's all kinds of stuff in our lives that get in the way of us hearing from you. We've uh, confessed our sins a moment ago. And uh, once again, we just know that right now there's stuff that could get in the way of us hearing from you. And we pray that that you would help us to, to be open, to be listening, and to be responding to what you would say to us. And this we ask for the sake of and the glory of the great name of Jesus. Amen? So uh, I want to start with a question this morning, and that's simply this. How many, many of you remember the first time you walked into a church? How many of you remember the first time you walked into a church? Maybe, maybe that was a long, long time ago. Maybe the church you walked into was a different kind of church, had a different kind of music. If you walked in this morning, you think we're a hillbilly church. Uh, It's kind of interesting uh, to me that the only way, I don't know if you look around this congregation, we're so white it's embarrassing, Um, but the only way to get white people to actually clap or raise their hands is to play bluegrass music. (laughs) And some of you, I was noticing from the back as I looked at that, I could not believe it, you know, you were actually clapping, somebody had their hands up, I don't think you normally do that, and so anyway... Uh, But maybe you visited a different kind of church, maybe it had a different kind of music, maybe it was in a different kind of environment than this environment, and um, maybe that was even very recent for you. Maybe today's your your first time coming into a church, and you're here wondering, how can I get out of here? This is very strange, I don't know. (laughs) But I think for most people, when they first encounter church, or first visit a church... um, it can be a strange experience. It can feel a little odd or awkward to them. Some may feel like everybody's looking at them. I've been told that before by people like I went and I visited a church and it felt like people were looking at me or watching me. Uh, some people maybe feel they don't belong, maybe even have some sense of, boy, I'm not qualified for some reason to be here. That is, if people really knew what was going on in my life or what was going on inside or what my thoughts were, I'm, I'm not probably not qualified to be here. I met a guy once at a dinner, Party that we were at uh, in someone's home, uh, and this person asked me, "How do you know the hosts?" And I told him, "Well, you know, we know the hosts because you know we go to church with them." And his response was kind of one he was somewhat incredulous. He said, "How do you how do you know the, the host And I said, "We go to church." And he said, "You go to church? You guys go to church?" He said it twice, as if to say, "You believe in the tooth fairy?" And uh, so I decided to up the ante on him, and I said, "Yeah, not only do I go to church, I actually." Work at the church. I actually worked for the Tooth Fairy, and uh, you know that's what it felt like. You know that's what I thought his perception was. You know, statistics tell us that more and more people today uh, feel rather suspicious and even uncomfortable uh, in a church, suspicious of the church, uncomfortable there. Uh, even if they feel open to God, they still feel this way sometimes with regards to church. Even if they feel they're on some kind of spiritual journey, there's some discomfort. Um, with them as they think about associating with the church. And here's what's so ironic about that to me. Because 2,000 years ago, during the life and the ministry of Jesus, the one thing that was true throughout his ministry, from start all the way to the finish, was that people felt like they belonged. No matter who they were, no matter what their background was, they felt like they belonged around Jesus. They didn't feel like they were a disappointment to Jesus Uh, they actually felt loved when they were around him and uh, I think what made this possible were kind of three values that Jesus bought into that were embodied in his life and in his ministry these were things that Jesus was known for Uh, one thing he was known for was that around Jesus anything is possible I mean they would watch him teach and they were awestruck they would watch him perform miracles and they they just had never seen anything like that Another thing that was true of Jesus is that around Jesus, everybody had to admit that they weren't like him. You know, in other words, they weren't perfect. He was different than they were. They weren't like him. And then thirdly, uh, around Jesus, everyone felt welcome. What I was mentioning just a moment ago. A few weeks ago, we looked at this passage in Matthew four. We talked about our why as a church. What is the why of Deer Creek Church? Why do we exist? Why are we here? What are we here to do? And Matthew four. Uh, Jesus was talking to some fishermen, and he said to those fishermen, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, he told them. And so we kind of explored that statement and what that meant, and we said that that's our why as a church. Uh, wholeheartedly following Jesus, doing what Jesus did. Jesus had a mission. It was fishing for people. It was representing the Heavenly Father to people. It was loving on people and serving people and laying down His life for people so that they too would come to follow, so that they too would enter into His kingdom. And then last week we asked this question But, uh, you know, what, what is our how? You know, we talked about our why as a church. What is our how? What does fishing for people look like? What is following Jesus wholeheartedly? What does that look like? And we said that following Jesus has these three values embodied in it if you want to know how to live for to fish for people it's all about up and what's the other one in In and out out. and we kind of even picture this on the cross up there you know we have that symbol on the cross this three-dimensional kind of lifestyle up and in and out up is connecting with the father and because we connect with the father what i said a moment ago is true anything is possible and uh in is all about creating a community of followers Uh, Where we understand that in this community that we've got, none of us are perfect. Let's not pretend that we are. None of us are perfect. That's in. And then third, Jesus went fishing. And that's, of course, the out. Everybody is welcome into this relationship with the Father, into the family of God, into the kingdom of Jesus. Everybody's welcome. So this morning we're going to continue our look at how. And we're going to talk about this in component, being connected, developing community. And understand this. Real community authentic community all depends on whether or not we are willing to accept the truth about ourselves that's where authentic community begins and frankly ends as a staff uh, we recently finished going through our quarterly performance reviews Uh, every person on our staff gets reviewed this way so i had my review and and uh, there was some positive feedback for which i was thankful And there was some negative feedback, for which I wasn't very thankful. Uh, Some stuff that I really didn't want to hear. I was told there was room for improvement in some areas in my life. And part of me just doesn't want to hear that. And here's what's so fascinating. It's not that I don't realize there are plenty of things that I can be better at as a leader or as a pastor, as a teacher, what have you. It's just knowing that someone else knows too. You know? I mean, not only do they know it, but they have the audacity to name it you know and then challenge me to grow that's a little bit discomforting to tell you the truth because there's part of me that lives with this idea that even though I know I'm broken I mean that's not news to me right but I kind of hope that everybody out there thinks I'm doing just fine I'm just great oh to be like him right so here's the deal I can either I can either choose to be real to own my own brokenness name it And then seek to grow. Or I can do all that I can to pretend that I'm just fine. I don't need to grow. Nothing broken here. Right? And here's the thing. If I'm honest, there is always going to be a gap between the real me and people's perception of me. And I can either grow that gap or I can do everything I can to shrink that gap. And I have to decide, will I live my life trying to pretend, trying to manage how others see me? And believe me, our culture just screams to us that we need to do you know, image management and control. And so there's all kinds of ways that we do this, different kinds of ways. By the way we dress, or by the car we drive, or by the home we live in, or the community that we live in, or what we write on our resume, or what we post on Facebook, or the pictures that we send out on Instagram. What we hide and what we reveal, you see. All the while, there is an ever-increasing gap between what I put on and what I cover up, if I you know, make that choice to pretend, between how I present myself and who I really am, who I really am. And I just know from conversations that a lot of Christians live with this growing gap. That gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And here's the thing, too. Churches can actually, without really meaning to or knowingly doing it, they can promote this growth of this gap that I'm talking about. We can become societies where we just pretend. It's so ironic, too, because we all talk about a God who gave his life for really broken, messed up, needy, hurting people, don't we? But then we gather and we can, if we're not careful, work pretty hard at trying to look like we've got it all together. And yet, truth be told, people who go to churches are just like people who don't go to churches. There are always uh, things that uh, are going on in our lives. There are marriages breaking down. There are addictions being covered up. There are always families in crisis over health issues or finances or relational issues. Uh, dysfunction or job situations, you name it. And yet, ironically, often these people who are in churches feel like they need to pretend when we gather here. And when we do that, stuff doesn't get corrected, and, and if it doesn't get challenged, if it doesn't get healed, uh, we just continue to pretend, and the gap gets bigger and bigger. Now, here's kind of what that looks like. You know, when you came in here this morning, you were given a mask. And if you're visiting, you're thinking, yeah, we made a mistake. <laughs> uh, um, but if you just kind of humor me for a minute, okay, just humor me for a moment. You Work with me. Work with me, people, you know. Um, you were given this mask. And I, I just kind of ask you, if you would, to kind of put it on. And to, to put this on, you just have to hold it up to your face and, and keep it there, keep it there. Uh, We're not going to rob a bank or anything either. So, you know, you can rest assured. But put that on. And as you do, look around now for a moment. I mean it. Look around. Take just a minute. For a lot of people, understand this is what Christianity feels like. Keep the mask on. Keep it on. A bunch of people pretending and hiding and living life one way, Monday to Saturday, but living it a very different way on Sunday... And we come here and we put on this mask. And tell me, is this creepy or what? I mean, this is creepy. If somebody out there was looking in here, they'd go, yeah, I knew that's what it's like. <laughs> Look at these people. They're so phony. They wear masks in that church. This, you can take them down now, yeah. I mean, that is creepy. You should see it from up here. In fact, I should have taken a picture. That's very, very creepy. Um, Now, here's something you need to know about Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me. Nothing in Jesus' life or ministry agitated him more than pretending. Nothing. He called it hypocrisy. Nothing riled him up more than this. He was known for saying things like this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, he said. This word hypocrite was the first century word for actor, Uh, It was somebody who put on a mask. It was somebody who pretended to be someone or something they weren't. Jesus reserved his strongest warnings, not for irreligious people, but for religious people who pretended to be something they were not. Why? Because Jesus came to create communities where people could finally take off the mask. Jesus came literally because nobody is perfect. There's no need for a mask when it comes to relating to the Heavenly Father, relating to Jesus. There is no need to pretend. Which brings us back to a story we started studying a few weeks ago, and that's in John chapter 4. Jesus is with the Samaritan woman at the well. If you were here with us last weekend, we spent some time in this story. This is a story where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. If you remember, uh, first century Jews, especially first century Jewish rabbis, would not be caught dead speaking with a Samaritan, let alone speaking with a Samaritan woman. And what's interesting is the devout Jews in that day wouldn't even go there. They wouldn't even travel through Samaria. In fact, I can show you uh, what usually happened. It's kind of a map here of the of the region in that day. If you were in Galilee going through Judea, or Judea going to Galilee, you kind of see a dotted line. Let's put that up there. There you go. You you know you could travel right through Samaria, but they didn't do that. Uh, instead, what they would do is they would either make a track, We'll put the next one up. They would either travel uh, to the east of the Jordan through these. All this is the road system of the Roman uh, in the Roman Empire at this time. They would go way out of their way to the east to make that journey up into Galilee, or they would have to make the decision to go uh, to the west and travel along the coast just to avoid Samaria. This is what good Jewish people did if they had to make this journey. And this is where we pick up the story again in John 4. The text says this it says, Now he, that is Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Very interesting language. Had to go through Samaria. But the fact is, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria at all. The fact is, people usually didn't go through Samaria. The fact is, Jesus wanted to go through Samaria. And we're going to come back to that. This is what we read. It says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. (coughs) And Jesus... Uh, tried uh, as he uh, Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well and it was about noon and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water Jesus said to her will you give me a drink and uh, when we read these words we don't necessarily notice this because in our culture we don't pick up on some of these things but if you were in the first century there would be three details that would literally jump out at you in this story number one she was going to a well outside the city Uh, And uh, number two, that the woman was all alone. And number three, that she came to draw water at noon. Why is this all so strange? Well, for starters, there would have certainly been a well inside the city, multiple wells most likely. Uh, But she's choosing to go outside the city. And then uh, number two, she's all alone. No, normally what would happen is women would twice a day, early in the morning and early in the evening, go to the wells together. It was actually a social event. You know, everybody's getting their jugs and, and they're walking down to the well and they're doing it together. And there's conversation happening. There's interaction taking place. But not with this woman. She's all alone. And she's drawing water at noon, a time when nobody went to the well outside the city. Why is she doing this? Why is her routine different than everybody else's routine? Well, the answer is she's a social outcast. This is a woman that has been excluded from the community. She's not welcome to come with the other women and participate in conversation and make friendships there. And that's because of her story. That's because of her past. That's because of her sin. That's because of her shame. That's because of her many imperfections, which all of the other women knew about, you see And here's what's so amazing about Jesus. Jesus didn't come to this well looking for perfect people. Not at all. Jesus came to this well like he went everywhere else, frankly, looking for people who were lost and who were lonely, people who were broken, people uh, who were struggling. In fact, time and time again in the Gospels, we find out that Jesus came not for the righteous, not to pat them on the back, but he came looking for people who were unrighteous. Not for the found, he came looking for the lost. Not for the proud, but for the meek. Not for the strong, but for the weak. Not for the uh, healthy, but for the sick. He came, in fact, for people who were sinners. That's what the Bible calls them. Not only does Jesus not avoid or exclude this woman, he talks with her. He engages with her. Uh, he starts up a conversation, a kind of vulnerable conversation. Hey, I'm thirsty. Uh, would, could you give me a drink of water? And then they have this this fascinating conversation. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. There's that that living water thing again. We looked last week at what that was talking about. This infusion of the spirit of God himself into a person's life to remake them and heal them and give them strength and give them wisdom, give them all these things. Jesus explains what that's about. And then listen to what she says. The woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I don't know if you hear it, but there is a sense of desperation in this woman's voice when she responds back to Jesus. Sir, will you give me some of this water so that I don't have to come back, back outside the city, all alone, in the heat of the day, shamed as an outcast, reminded of my story, reminded of my sin every time I go to the well. And this is why, you see, Jesus had to go through Samaria. This is why. And too many people still in our day are living lives outside, alone, at the well, right, outside the city. And they may put on a different mask. They may put on a, you know, kind of an outside face, if you will. But there they are on the inside, aching over their story over their past, over things that they've done or things that have been done to them. And I'm assuming that that's some of us this morning. What this woman says, she says, I don't want to come here anymore. I don't want to come to this well and be reminded every time of all my brokenness. So please tell me, would you, how... Can I receive that water that you're talking about? How can I be free? Have you ever thought about a struggle or a problem that you have that's kind of deep-rooted in your life, and you, you wonder, how can I ever get free of this? How do I get out of this? Well, listen to Jesus' response to this woman. It's pretty interesting. We read this. He says, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Awkward silence, <laughs> crickets, of uh, Ooh, wow! That's an interesting question. Go call your husband and come back. She's got to be thinking. Well, you know, the living water sounded that you talked about sounded really good, and that sounded very gracious. But what this? What's this? Go call your husband and then come back, thing, Jesus. Jesus starts to get really personal with her. Feels almost invasive, actually. Yeah, this is her personal life. Why are you prying, Jesus? What are you up to? Well, here's why I think. Jesus wants to talk to this woman about what's really controlling her. He wants to talk about why she's at the well, alone, in the middle of the day. You see, talking about that will free her, but talking around it won't. It's not going to free her. She's thinking and calculating in her response at this point in the conversation, too, and she says, "Uh, I have no husband, she replied. Entirely true and jesus says you are right when you say you have no husband The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband What you have just said is quite true. It's such again an interesting response that she gives. I have no husband It's a true statement, but it's a truth that hides the whole truth We're all pretty good at this actually that's often how we kind of do our spiritual lives. This is where we can all we can live our lives here. We can get caught up in this. People who are good, <coughs> respectable, church-going people, we live behind truths that hide the whole truth. Someone might say, "Yeah, I'm kind of struggling, you know, right now with my thought life just a little bit." But the real truth is that they're online every single night viewing pornography. Why are they doing that? Well, because they are lonely to death. And they are empty inside, relationally. Someone might say, yeah, my marriage is, uh, eh, you know, it's not the best right now. But the truth is, it's about to break up. It's on the verge. It's on the precipice. Someone might say, you know, I'm going through a tough time right now. Well, the real truth is a whole lot worse than that. They're not only going through a tough time, but they're actually using some things to self-medicate that they're becoming addicted to. Alcohol, drugs, whatever, you name it. Why is it so hard for us to tell the truth? The whole truth. For some of us, we've just gotten really good at avoiding the truth and using half-truths to hide the truth. For many of us, the truth is we're afraid, we're we're afraid of what someone might think or we're afraid that there might be consequences if we were to just lay the whole truth out there. And this is such an issue in churches. In fact, I think this is true the longer that you're a part of a church, uh, the less freedom people often feel to be truthful. <laughs> you see how backwards that is? How wrong that is? But it happens all the time. If you're new to church and you say, yeah, man... Uh, this Jesus thing's really interesting to me, and I'm learning more about him. I'm start, you're starting really to believe in him, and oh, my life's a mess. It's a it's a wreck, and people will come along and go, ah, oh, that's, that's fantastic, that's good. Oh, it's just awesome that you're thinking. But after you've been around the church a while, and you've served on this team or that team team, but you're still struggling. Well, guess what? It's too late now. <coughs> you're a Christian now. You're not supposed to be struggling with sin. That's part of your past, right? And so what do we do? Well, then we have to hide. And then we've got to pretend and we've got to put on a mask. And we start looking like we looked just a few minutes ago, to which Jesus would say, you know, go call your husband and come back. Let's go to that part of your life that, frankly, you want to hide. This is just a warning. If you're here this morning and you know, you're not really connected to Jesus, you're still checking this out, well, just know he's not going to leave the secret places of your life alone. It's not what he does. Let's go to that part of your life you want to hide, that part that you run from, and then, then come back. That's where I want to meet you, Jesus would say. Now, why? Again, because nobody's perfect. Nobody, not you, not me, nobody's perfect. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, here's the good news. Jesus' point is not to condemn. It's to redeem. At the very moment that this woman has to confront who she is and what she has done and is doing, she receives the one thing she needs most. And you know what that is. It's grace. That's what she receives from Jesus. She receives grace. The fact that no matter what she brought to that well no matter what her story was, no matter what part of her past, (coughs) Jesus, the person she found at the well, loved her. Jesus, the person that she encountered at the well, accepted her and forgave her and believed in her. If you want to know what Jesus is about, if you're confused on that at all, maybe things you've seen in the media, on television, in the movies or whatever, if you want to know what Jesus is all about, understand, this is it. We're talking about it right now. He didn't come to clean people up. He didn't come to make us more religious. He came for broken people. People who knew they weren't perfect. And they weren't going to pretend to be. People who understood how much they needed to be rescued. They needed to be helped. And so they were willing to listen to Jesus. And... uh, This is why Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's why he had to come to earth. That's why he's here in this room with us right now. He's seeking you out. He is seeking me out because he loves us. This woman discovers at the well that her worth isn't defined by her past. In fact, her worth is defined by how Jesus sees her. In spite of her past and in spite of her pain, deep down I think we actually struggle to tell the truth about our lives because we're confused about what makes us worthy of God's love. We believe we're loved because of what we've done or because of who we've become or because of who we know or because of what we believe or because of how much we've accumulated or whatever. But I have to tell you, that's not why you are worthy of to be loved. Your worthiness has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Your intelligence, your appearance, your achievements, none of that stuff. It has nothing to do with your behavior. It has nothing to do with your beliefs. It has nothing to do with how moral you look or you act. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He wrote to the uh, church in Ephesus. He said, uh, for it is by grace you have been saved. That's the good news of the gospel. Through faith, that is not from yourselves, it is a gift. There's that language of gift. He's talking to the woman at the well there in Samaria about a gift, a gift of living water. It is a gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. Nobody is perfect, you see. And that's, that's why the mask has to go. You can, you can be whoever you are today with God and you can find love and you can find hope And you can find renewal and you can dare to be just who you are and not pretend to be somebody else. One of the best ways I've ever heard this articulated is by a pastor and theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Many of you know some of his writings. He wrote a book uh, many years ago called Life Together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, of course, was a German Lutheran who stood up against the Nazi movement and actually lost his life right before the war ended. Uh, They hung him and killed him. In this book, uh, he critiques the church for this tendency to create environments and communities that reinforce this idea that we we had better hide our sin. You know, hide our true selves. This is what he writes. (coughs) He says, many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. And so we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. But it is the grace of God, which is so hard for the pious to understand, that it confronts us with the truth and it says you are a sinner, a great, desperate sinner. Now come as the sinner that you are to the God who loves you. He does not want anything from you, a sacrifice, a work. He wants you alone. The mask you wear before men will do you no good before him. He wants to see you as you are. He wants to be gracious to you. You do not have to go on lying to yourself and to your brothers as if you were without sin. You can dare to be a sinner. That sounds very Martin Luther. If you've ever read any of Martin Luther's, you know, Martin Luther would say stupid things like, you know, if you're going to sin, sin boldly. You know, uh, and his point was don't be a pretender. Don't do it off here in the shadows. Just get out there and sin, and then, then you're going to know you need Jesus. He's the only one who can save you. You see, that's the spirit of this. The truth is God's grace is hard for people, people who are trying to be perfect. It's so hard to, to understand. It's counterintuitive. But God knows we're not perfect. He knows everything about us. And he calls us all the same to himself. He calls us to love us, which is why we don't have to pretend we're something we're not. We're not. We can dare to be broken. We can dare to be in the midst of struggle. We can dare to be a sinner. That is, by the way, exactly what the Samaritan woman did. Let's get back to that story. We read that uh, then leaving her water jar... The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Notice she's not bragging about how good she's, she's doing. She's bragging about the man who has grace for her in spite of what she's done. And she asked the question, could this be the Messiah? And they came out, it says, of the town and they made their way towards Him so this is what she says she says come see a man who knows everything about you I got to thinking about this we ought to make a great big huge banner Four or five of them and just plaster them around this building so that it would shout to everybody in the neighborhood Hey, come see a man who knows everything about you right That'd be a great motto for a church Come see the man who already knows everything about you and he knows nobody is perfect and he welcomes you here you see because here's the deal. I believe that people are actually very hungry for this message. Very hungry for a relationship with a God who knows everything about them but still loves them. I believe people are dying for this. A place where we can dare to come and meet God just as we are, a place where nobody is perfect, a place where you can finally take off the mask. And, you know, I just want to declare, you know, this morning that. If you're here and you're living in some struggle or having something that seems to have a hold on you and it's breaking you up and breaking your life, well, welcome to the club. Talk to somebody here and get help. Uh, If somebody here judges you for where you're at, well, then they just don't understand themselves very well, let alone God, Jesus, Jesus. You know, if you've been around here for a while, you know this is why we talk about things like life groups. And believe me, our life groups are not perfect. The only life group that is perfect is mine. And uh, people in my group are, whoa, we're way, we're way up here, holy people. You don't want to come to our group. Uh, But you get the idea. I mean, our life groups are not perfect. Uh, We're just a community of people that gather and We want to pray for each other. We want to support each other. We want to learn together. We want to remind each other that we're not alone. We're not going to the well alone. We all need to get there together. And there is a God who had to go through Samaria. What a phrase that is. Jesus had to go through Samaria. This is a God who will not go around your pain or your sin or your past. He's going to go right through it with you. You see. Come see the man who already knows everything about you and who still loves you. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. And spreading that message is what Jesus called fishing for people. And we want to be fishers of men, as I said at the beginning. That is our why as a church. We want to get better and better at this. We don't claim to be great at it. But you see, our how, how are we going to do that? How are we going to be fishers of men is by being honest, to start in this place, by being honest about who we really are. Let's not be a pretentious community. Let's not send signals out to anybody that they're not welcome here just because they haven't made all the you know, moral, uh, haven't cleaned themselves up morally enough to be among us. Whoa. <laughs> We're people that need Jesus. We need grace and we need forgiveness and we need all the help we can get from Jesus. And so we open our hearts up to God who, who loves us and we find that in his strength and uh, in his love and in his forgiveness, we can change and we can grow and we can, uh, we can become free of things that we're currently addicted to. We can become who we're meant to be. There's no other way to become that person we were meant to be than to embrace the fact that this is who we are and this is the God who can rescue us, you see. There's a concept in social psychology. It's called the looking glass self. Some of you may have heard of this or read about it. The idea is that you become what the most important person in your life thinks about you. Think about that for a minute. You largely become... What the most important person in your life thinks about you. And there's all kinds of psychology and stuff that's been written about this. For some of you, maybe that's a spouse and, and, or it's a mentor or it's a friend or it's a parent. And it's, just, and it's led to great and glorious things and accomplishments. But, but uh, for others of you, it, there's somebody in your life that's deeply important to you for reasons you might not even understand. But they don't think well of you. And that has affected who you are and you know, who you've become. That can be a very, very, very hurtful place to be. How is the gospel, how is Jesus going to rescue us out of a situation like that? Question. How different would your life be if you became like what God thinks of you? How different? <clears throat> if you realize that you don't have to pretend anymore... For anyone here on earth, and you could just be who you are and surrender your life to God and see Jesus for who he is, and then learn to see yourself for the way that He sees you. By making Him the most important person in your life. It's a great way to live, friends. It's a it's a freeing way to live. It's it's a way to live that can literally change everything. It changed this woman's life who met Jesus at the well, changed it completely. She looked in the mirror and she saw what God sees. She saw this in the eyes and and through the interaction of Jesus. She saw what God sees. Somebody who is fully loved, fully accepted, and even though sinful, worth dying for. And that's how Jesus sees you. that's how Jesus sees me. You may or may not remember the first time you walked into a church, and maybe it was a really good experience or maybe it was a terrible experience. But here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that you will never forget the first time you really take off the mask and you just dare to be a sinner. You dare to own the truth about you and you come to God with that through Jesus, just as you are. Because that's where you'll find Jesus. That is where you will find grace, what this woman found. That's where you will find love. That's where you'll find hope. That's where you'll find the strength and the power and the ability for real renewal. And maybe for someone, the first time for you and processing this is this morning. Well, understand, (coughs) that's actually our mission as a church, that more and more and more all of us would just come to embrace this and, and, and soak this this end and share the good news with each other and with the world out there about jesus that is our mission that is our why we want to do that in guatemala we want to do that in lebanon through our mission partners there we want to do that in myanmar we want to do that here in denver and this is why we have been asking you and we're going to continue to ask you would you participate with us as a as a family in our mission so i've been asking you all to, to pray and to give and to live would you pray for one of our mission partners you know you've already seen Kirk dressed up in his fly fishing get up and you know you, you could pray for Kirk and Gloria and the, and the Che team that's down in Guatemala Abel and Osario I think are the names of the folks or, or is it Santiago, might be Santiago yeah Santiago uh, two of the Che that we say there are Che but like I say in reality every time we go down there we meet other Che members and these are, these are people laying down their life for the gospel and planting hundreds of churches. And, and, you know, would you pray for them? Would you pray for that ministry? Would you pray for Rova and Myanmar? The point is, you know, would you pray about the people in your life who need to know Jesus? Would you pray for a ministry partner? Just one ministry partner all year long, faithfully pray for them. God loves the prayers of His people. That's one very significant way you can participate in the mission of this church, getting the gospel out. The other is give. And I've said to you, you know, you have these... uh, you have these things, these pledges. That I think you had them in your bulletin. If not, there's some back on those tables. And we're just asking you to think about um, participating financially, giving money over and above regular giving that you do. We're trying to raise 107000 to augment our mission budget and to make these partnerships possible. And, and uh, some of you have already responded back. A few of you have. But in typical fashion, most of you haven't. Uh, not yet. And um, we're going to ask, really, that you turn these in, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, so we kind of know where we stand with our missions giving. But, you know, would you come along with us in this mission? Nobody's got a better message than we have. I was going to say, nobody has a better preacher than you have, but that, that, that wasn't really what I would, uh, that, that wouldn't be true. <laughs> but it is true that nobody's got a better message than we have because our message is about Jesus. Nobody's got a better message than that. And we want to get that message out. And then we're asking you to live, too. Live missionally. And that means notice the people around you. See the people around you the way Jesus sees them. Love them the way Jesus would have you love them. Reach out to them the way Jesus would have you reach out. Go on a short-term mission. I don't know what uh, Kirk and Gloria have up their sleeve as far as a lot of times in November a team goes out. But if there's a team going out, maybe God wants you to be on it. Uh, we're uh, We're exploring the possibility right now of sending a team to Lebanon. Um, this, uh, this in the upcoming year, and uh, maybe God wants you to be on that team. Uh, we're probably going to have in the, uh, again, we haven't decided if it's going to be this year or next, but it's, uh, it may well be this year. Sending a team to Myanmar, maybe God wants you to be on that team. Live missionally, right? So that's uh, that's what we're asking you to consider and asking you to do, and and I, I hope that you celebrate with me when we do these missions emphasis. Uh, A lot of what we want to do is be reminded about our vision, our why. Why do we do this? Why do we talk about this? Why do we gather? Why do we... Well, we, we do it to challenge each other to be fishers of men, to live that way. We do it because this is what we're called to do. This is who we're called to be, to be like Jesus. Amen? Pray with me. Jesus, you call us to come just as we are. And we have entered into this place not because we've put our lives back together or we're doing really well or because we can somehow earn your approval. You've entered into this room because we are broken and because we are hurting and because we are lost and because you love us. Nobody is perfect. And so we don't want to pretend, Father. We want to take that step of surrendering our lives and opening up our lives and taking off the mask and going to that part of our lives that we may want to resist or hold back that part of our lives that we want to cover up. That's where you want to go. And that's where you want to meet us. And that's where you have more than enough grace for us. Jesus, it's amazing that today we are invited To see ourselves as you see us, as you saw the woman at the well 2,000 years ago. Fully loved, fully accepted, worth dying for. May we see ourselves through your eyes today and be changed. Amen, Jesus.